Hello everybody and welcome to She Talks Tech, where I profile women in technology and STEM careers. My aim is to elevate and amplify their stories and inspire more women to join this field. Through detailed interviews with successful women in technology and STEM, I explore their career paths, challenges, successes, and advice for aspiring professionals. Join me as I celebrate the achievement of women in technology and STEM and discover the diverse and exciting opportunities available in this field. Today's episode, I have one of my beautiful sisters. I think if you guys have been listening to this podcast, you will know one thing. I thrive on sisterhood so much because oh, who are we if we don't have other people to do this life with? It's hard to do life alone. And I think the story of how we met is a very interesting one because again, if you've been listening to this for quite some time, you know that I, I am a traveler and this one day I literally, so there was a time when I did this, this, what I call the continental tour, traveled like, I think six countries in one trip for 20 days of craziness and madness and everything in between. I did Southern and Eastern Africa. And one day when I woke up, I was in Zambia. I woke up and realized that as much as I had done bookings for my trips and accommodation and everything. I had planned to make a stop in Dar es Salaam and I had not booked accommodation. For the first time, brave enough, it was my first time I actually reached out. I remembered of this application called Couchsurfing. I was like, okay, let's try this out. But one thing that was certain for me, I needed it to be safe because it was a new platform. I had not done it before. So I was like, okay, first I need to go and check for a woman who would be able to actually accommodate me. So such what Couchsurfing is. You basically get hosted or host others either into their home or into your country so you can show them around. But I needed to be hosted for a night. And that night formed a very beautiful sisterhood for me. We have my sister, Maria Teresa, who is from Dar es Salaam, and that's where she hosted me. Currently, since changed location, we'll maybe talk about that or not, but it's really such a beautiful experience to have you today. Hello, sis. (laughs) You know, fun fact is that we have now met in four different countries. Literally. (laughs) I actually had not thought about that. Yeah, because... You then came to South Africa and then last year I traveled to Germany and we met there and now we are recording this podcast in Austria, how life works. Yeah, I'm, I'm so it's, glad. I am. Um, I also didn't know. Hosting on Coach Surfing is also just opening yourself up to yeah. new people, new relationships and the joys of unknown, not knowing mm-hmm. where the person that you meet and or where that journey can unfold. And I'm very glad that ours has been, I think, over six years long. Yeah. Spanning in four different cities and cities and countries. Yeah, this is this is very interesting. I I don't know if I actually told you. So when I was traveling at that time, one of my main thing for that trip is to actually understand the tech ecosystem in other parts of Africa and not hear it from other people, but just to learn from others who are in those countries and getting to be hosted by you. And then you are in tech. I'm just like, Hey, listen, (laughs) 
God works in mysterious ways because I did not plan for it, but it actually happens. And I think I always tell people in that trip that somehow I think just desiring something again, is just powerful because I met a lot of techies there and you were one of them. It's really beautiful. I really love it. And I really cherish our, our relationship and our sisterhood because it's... <laughs> It's been beautiful. But yeah, today it's really not about travel and sisterhood, you know, it's really about you. So I think I would want to, I would want to share you with the world. I have a piece of you and I would want to be in a position where I share you with other parts with so much hope that this inspiration that comes out of this people get to learn the some learnings and everything because I think your journey is such a powerful one and a beautiful one at the end of the day. Before we actually get to where you are now, I really want to start from the very beginning. I assume did you grow up in Dar es Salaam or no, I mean I moved to Dar es Salaam when I was eight years old. Okay. So I grew up in a nearby region called Morogoro. Okay. And in the middle of nowhere. So we lived in the mountains. Mm-hmm. My dad was an engineer for the Tanzania electricity yeah. um, company and they had a power plant yeah in the middle of nowhere because there were huge waterfalls there so I grew up um, with limited everything basically living in wilderness yeah uh, oh that was my childhood and then we moved to Dar es Salaam and I think also that's where my interest with travel and mm-hmm. kind of grew because I knew what it is to live from, I mean, to live in a small community and to move to a big city and yeah. everything that a big city offers, yeah, including, yeah, opportunities to study, but also opportunities to start different journeys in my field. So during those early days of yeah, you then moving to Dar es Salaam, who do you look up to for inspiration? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have no anyone that I was looking up to. And at that time, I'm not even sure that I was as inspired, but mm-hmm. I loved doing things. I was one of those kids that many people wouldn't like at school, always like say, we have an extra uh, time. Let's call this teacher to come and like teach us one more yeah. um, lesson or let's read one more page mm-hmm. or if... um anyone would ask for a volunteer to do something, I would be the first one to yeah. like jump and do things. I was uh, leading a um, uh, kids group in the church. So I was one of the um, church leaders in the kids uh, committee. Yeah, I was doing, I was leading our kids choir as a choir master. Oh, wow. <laughs> I was like, anything, is there something to do? Give it, Give to, it to me. me. I'll do it. <laughs> so I had so much energy, but I didn't yeah. really any role model or mm-hmm. inspiration also being a firstborn in a, yeah. in a huge family I think maybe my sisters had a role model they were looking at what I was doing but mm-hmm. I didn't have um, a role model I was inspired by stories of possibilities a bit later in life as a teen mm-hmm. knowing how my parents studied and knowing how my grandfather who was a teacher and a principal of a school during like in the colonial time and I thought when I was able to understand what that really means I was like okay I also have to do better yeah I think that came a bit later in life but as a kid I was just a a very curious kid who always 
like extra energy to do stuff. Yeah. So with that kind of like not enough role models and not enough people to look at and model, what makes you decide that now I'm going to go and study computer science? I will be honest in this. I didn't decide. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't decide. My dad, uh, <laughs> my dad was a typical African father mm-hmm. who was a proud, proud engineer who all the time he would talk about his own journey and mm-hmm. how he went to study abroad and how he did this and that in the field. Mm-hmm. And later he also took extra classes with ICT. So he's like, yeah, every child of mine that I have will study science. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay, Dad. So it really came more from his guidance and saying, I think this will be a better route for you. But Mm -hmm. I didn't really make that decision. I'm very thankful for that that decision or that choice because I think also I was not matured enough. Mm -hmm. And my... I I loved to write mm-hmm. normally just to keep my diary and read and write. So I thought maybe I can just write books and just grow up and like not do any other job and just write books. And be an author. And be an yeah. author. And my dad was like, no, you're going to study science. And he just paved that road for me. Yeah. And the rest unfolded itself. And also the love of the computers because we had a computer at home yeah from I think the age of 11 yeah and we we learned how to type how to use different programs on our computer and our dad would teach us and I think that also helped a lot because the the interest was cultivated at home and so when it was time to decide that was like a very clear path for me but I I didn't make a choice myself and I think if I would have had to it would have been maybe a different choice okay so getting into a career that you did not make a choice for (laughs) you have those early days first year you continue to second year third year until the very end how does that journey look like for you is there any point where you're like okay this is not for me because anyway I didn't choose it or I could be somewhere else. No, no, because it was interesting. It mm-hmm. was super cool to be able to um, learn more yeah. about how, for example, computers operate, to be able to learn how to write programs. And it was, I was, I mean, I'm naturally very curious. So just the whole journey was kind of fulfilling for me, learning the processes. So there was no time, but I also felt like I committed to it. So my dad died back mm-hmm. in 20, um, 2007. And I felt like, okay, I've already promised that this yeah. is my journey mm-hmm. and I have to stick to it. But there was no point that I was bored. Oh, I don't want to do this. I think I was very happy um, yeah. studying. And I'm very thankful to my father because this journey has been very a very I can't even put it to words mm-hmm. the best journey that could be for me so the, what becomes your first job then after after varsity ah that's another fun story <laughs> <laughs> I go back to being curious because it was not it was yeah. not in 
it was not in software, it was not directly in IT, but also at that time, it was still a very new field. Mm -hmm. So also the opportunities were very limited. At that time, back in 2014, 2013, we were not talking about like building software. It was more like maybe building systems for government websites so becoming kind of like a technician for the like a support job or jobs so for me that was like boring every job that I see I'm like oh god work with like old people to like connect their cables maybe and to troubleshoot stuff it's not it's not as exciting Mm So I took a job, a very different job that opened up actual entrepreneurship for me mm-hmm. because I went to support a family friend who's like a family relative who was starting a business in a different city. And it was a huge business with different stuff like dry cleaning, operating a first internet, like a huge internet shop in that region. Mm-hmm. So like a few different things and there is where I learned a whole different aspect of business and how business run Mm -hmm. and how do you pay people where do you get money to pay people because I went to manage the that business and it was like yeah we have this this cousin who's graduated and they actually can do the managing yeah yeah and so I learned for the first time that's where I learned and I got my very first business understanding Mm -hmm. And from there, because I did that so well, and everyone who would come, who was like a, it was a very small town called Singida. So yeah. we didn't have, you didn't have a lot of like international community, but anyone who would come would say, oh, such a young girl, what are you doing here? <laughs> and that, when people would ask me, what are you doing here? I'm like, yeah. where am I supposed to be? Yeah. Uh, but they say, yeah, you run this place so well and at such young age and there was kind of like this admiration mm-hmm. but I didn't understand so yeah. I didn't think that it's, it's a big deal yeah or that it's a big deal to run a business so it's a big deal to manage a team at that age it's mm-hmm. something that I'm assigned and it's a responsibility and I have to do it and I think I can manage yeah but I got my first um, nomination to attend a fellowship in the U.S. Mm-hmm. at that region in the middle of nowhere by wow. someone who saw how I was running the business. She yeah. was a volunteer in, with Peace Corp and she yeah. nominated me for this position. Is this, so is this Daresha? No, this was during Daresha. So I was doing Daresha. Daresha is my, was my friend's company. Okay. And my friend, uh, she, no not actually she's here and he started this after dropping out of mm-hmm. university yeah. in the u.s was like at that time everyone thought like he's crazy like how yeah. do you drop out of college when you have full scholarship mm-hmm. and he went to start this this company and we worked together as like young ambitious people yeah but i was doing that part-time uh-huh. and i yeah. continued with other things that i was doing in my life but that also that journey was very helpful. So both of these things happened at the same time. And I think the experience with the Recha and working with other young people who are also ambitious, who really believe in themselves, mm-hmm. who have strong conviction of yeah. who they are and what they want to do in life, even if everyone says, yeah, you're crazy or this is not mm-hmm. the path, they still want to do it. Yeah, that changed and shaped my journey into also believing that I also can do anything that I want. I can also be as ambitious as possible. And there will always be people 
on my way that will help me, that yeah. will guide me towards those parts. So you start your first job, which is not necessarily within the computer science field, and then you get nominated to go to the U.S., how does that journey look like for you in the U.S.? What are some of the skills that you learned, but also what was the intention there for you? If I am being very honest, mm-hmm. I was so happy for that opportunity. It was the first time I'm traveling out of the country. Okay, um, I did that in 2013. And I didn't have very clear intentions at that time. Yeah, I just wanted to learn. And I was nominated for the business and entrepreneurship track because Mm -hmm. I was doing the, I was managing a business. And yes, it didn't have, apart from, I don't know, fixing computers and troubleshooting for the internet, internet, I didn't have any, like any technical role, but I thought I'm just going to learn. I'm going to visit different companies, different states within the US. Mm -hmm. And it's an opportunity for me to learn within that fellowship but also to learn amongst people that I am with in that fellowship because it was um, young African leaders yeah uh, but in business and entrepreneurship from 14 different countries wow um so yeah I went there I learned a lot yeah when I came back I was like inspired and I had new ideas I'm like I want to do this and I want to do this yeah a new world unfolded in Mm -hmm. front of me and I saw new possibilities but I also saw a level of success that I didn't know before yeah and so my uh, perspective and also my desire of what I want to achieve in life changed because I thought I can achieve so much more we can also I learned about investment opportunities about how other states or other countries support businesses um, from the public sector and I thought maybe we can push for this to be the case in Tanzania. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that was the journey. I didn't have any intentions, but I, apart from wanting to learn and I went there and I learned a lot and I came back and I used that knowledge yeah. to continue. Yeah. So do you continue with the company that you were working for after coming back from the US or? Yes and no. It continued for a few months. And then a friend that I met, a friend that I made um, in the U.S. Mm-hmm. and wanted to invest in Tanzania and came uh, to visit Tanzania and see like business opportunities there. And it was also another business that is out of any scope of things that I know. Yeah. Because he wanted to invest in a mining or to start a mining operation. Yeah. And he said, but it's very difficult to start something when you don't have anyone to support. And so within time, we developed a relationship where I ended up managing that business for him. Yeah. Now, this was a very big business that I didn't know anything about. I had yeah. to learn a lot about and I had to learn very fast. But also it was managing teams of at times up to 60 people mm-hmm. that, you have to, that I had to pay, that I had to administration work that I had to communicate back in the U.S. with them and that taught me something about international business but it was not in a very conventional way yeah it was just like yeah you have something to do I can try to do it back to my own personality of like (laughs) I have something for me to do I can do that I can try it out I can learn about it and I think I can manage and I really took that mindset, and I think it's part of who I am, yeah. to, towards those kind of tasks. 
And it was not what I studied. Yeah. But there were things that I studied that helped, for example, processes, how to mm-hmm. bring things together, having an outlook where you're looking at a challenge or problem or project full cycle, like from the designing stage to how it's going to operate to who's going to benefit of the user. And I, I feel like even in these tasks and these um, job positions that had nothing to do with tech, Mm -hmm. I could bring some of the skill sets to those jobs and it made me excel and do very well in these jobs. I remember when this um, American investor left, who is still a good friend of mine and someone that I really um, appreciate and value. He was uh, signing off the company to another investor Mm -hmm. and he said, this deal can only work if Maria Teresa will continue to be part of oh, the company. Wow. Yeah. And if not, then I don't see how the business will succeed or continue. Yeah. And in all these situations, I don't see myself as that valuable. Sometimes like when yeah. someone else do something, I'm like, oh, I'm not I'm that vital. I thought I could just be replaced. Yeah. But that friend of mine, because he's much older, he's mm-hmm. now in his age fifties, taught me a lesson from the beginning. He told me in any job, make sure that you're indispensable. Yeah. Because anyone can be replaced. Yeah. That is true. Mm-hmm. But make sure that it's not easy mm-hmm. for people, for anyone within any job to just get rid of you. Yeah. Make sure that you bring something on the table that they know that maybe we can replace it as a skill set or as a qualification or degree. We can find someone else like this. But it would be difficult to find this person who got this extra money for this job. Mm. And I took that lesson really hard. Yeah. And I'm still taking it even now. That is beautiful. That is very beautiful. So your journey in general has a lot of entrepreneurship in it, has a lot of innovation in it. And you then go and be a co-founder of Thinkers Technologies. Yeah. And... (laughs) You tell me about that story and what were you doing there? So two things unfolded at the same time. Yeah. First, I was when I was still in Singida, I came across the problem that led to my company now. Mm-hmm. So I started doing research and I knew that my time, I'm developing a different interest in my time at this mining company is limited. Yeah. And also, I thought someone else can do the job that I'm doing. Yeah. And so I started doing some research mm-hmm. on homeless, uh, homelessness and also child adversity. So poverty in children, because I saw so many children who are suffering in that region. And mm-hmm. it's something that was very new to me. And I wanted to know again, my curious mind. I was just like, what, why, why are there so many kids who live in poverty in this region? And I was like, I want to know more about it. I really, I just want to know. What is the cause of this? Mm-hmm. Not on the surface level, but I really want to understand. So while that was ongoing, I was thinking of going back to Dar es Salaam. And I met, I met a friend who also works in tech who had this idea of starting a software development company. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, yeah, let's do it because why not? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I had, I was earning enough at the mining company. Mm-hmm. I was actually very comfortable and yeah. I thought okay I can invest some of 
the money that I have into starting this company mm -hmm. and developing software because yeah, I have interest in this. Yeah. But it was on a very commercial. So mm -hmm. just doing work for clients. And I quickly realized that's not my passion. Mm -hmm. Um as when I continued with research with the uh, with children in poverty, which was a hundred percent just out of personal interest and curiosity. I learned that I cannot do both, or I don't want to do both. Yeah. Developing software commercially and doing this passion project. Yeah. So that was very short lived. My mm -hmm. time at Thinkers Tech, but it was a funny journey. So does the Thinkers technology still exist now? No, mm -hmm. um, it doesn't exist. So it ceased to exist at, uh, okay. at some point, I think a few years after. Oh, wow. So when you're telling all this, there's an element of me that's like, she's just always been creating <laughs> and there's not a lot of you wanting to be employed somewhere and freely sit there. Where does that come from? I don't know. I feel like it, it will just not fit with yeah. me because I, I am very curious. Mm -hmm. I, I always want to learn. I always want to grow. I always want to continue to self-develop yeah. and reach new heights. I always feel that there's something more mm. for me to do with a new level that I can reach. And I have felt that a job cannot provide that for me. So I grew up also in a family where both my parents had regular jobs. Dad worked for this public company, but the elect electricity company until he died. My mom has been a teacher since I was born until today. Mm -hmm. You know, she works in a different position now, but she has been employed by Ministry of Education for I don't know how many years, over 30 years. And I see how comfortable, I mean, it is maybe safer, mm -hmm. but how comfortable um, one can get when uh, you're employed. And I think it's just not for everyone, definitely not for me. I, I can't, and I don't feel like it's a space where I can really flourish and I can get different challenges and um, mm. maybe I just have never looked in a place where I can really be challenged yeah. but also I've never had any interest honestly I mean not all of us are made for the corporate and not all of us are made to be entrepreneurship and I think the most important thing is finding out which one you're made for yeah. and really thriving from that level I want to go back a little bit to still dwelling on thinkers technology right I imagine it's not an easy decision to actually start something and then doing some self-introspection and being like okay this is not for me What's the journey in that decision for you to actually stop this? Because, hey, listen, I realized that this is not for me. I believe that not all journeys are yeah. meant to last mm -hmm. forever, whether it's in a working relationship, whether it's in a per on a personal level, at anything. At times we meet things that interest us mm -hmm. and also even job opportunities that really like fires us up. And then at some point, we're just not feeling the same way anymore. Mm -hmm. And for me, this, I have had a very clear understanding that some things just come to an end. Yeah. And I've experienced it in different aspects of my life because also with previous jobs, there was a time that I felt, no, this is no longer serving me or serving the company and it's mm -hmm. my time to leave. Yeah. And I've never had any issue with leaving. Yeah. <laughs> At any level, okay? 
But if it just does not work, I am gone. Yeah. And yeah. this for Thinkers Tech, it was not really because it was I didn't enjoy it. Mm -hmm. It was just because the passion project that I was doing that also ended up to be a tech project, yeah. a full tech project, mm -hmm. had more meaning for me. Yeah. And was more interesting to me. And I mean, it's my passion project. So I'm also very passionate about yeah. building applications for clients. Mm -hmm. It's not something that I'm passionate about. I'm yeah. doing it maybe because it pays, because it has money. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's not because I'm really interested in building something. So when I weighed the two, I was like, no, I just want to do my passion project and I want to do something else that will lead me towards this passion project and not think as tech. And also the understanding that I cannot do both well. I could do both. I could have continued because I owned the company. I was a shareholder. I was mm -hmm. a co-founder. I could have continued. Yeah. I didn't have any reason to really leave. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I knew that if I want to start a, another journey, yeah. I cannot do both. Awesome. Wow. Yeah. Uh, that's beautiful. I think it's admirable to actually understand that living is okay and a lot of people actually maybe me included might struggle with that the idea that hey the time is over you have to focus on something different because this journey i always say that this journey of life is really long and if we don't live it right we actually find ourselves stuck in things that we shouldn't be doing at the end of the day and would you say that you are currently doing what you are called to do? And we're actually about to get into your journey right now as a founder. So you founded Mobile Afia. Yeah. And I, I'm not going to ruin it with explaining what Mo Mo Mobile Afia is about. And I think I'll just firstly, do you think you're doing what you were called to do? Okay. Yes, yes. Okay. I believe I'm doing what I yeah. was called to do, mm -hmm. maybe what I was born to do yeah. in this um, in this stage of my life. Yeah. At the moment, I, I love what I'm doing. Yeah. I love that it's not just a job. It's mm -hmm. not just commercial. It's not at all commercial. Mm -hmm. It's touching people's lives. It's having an impact. Yeah. It's really using the skill sets, maybe what my dad wanted me to study mm -hmm. and maybe end up doing yeah. is using that for good. Yeah, perhaps for someone who actually doesn't know what mobile affair is about, what is mobile uh, mobile affair? Yeah, so it will make sense to continue from the research story, how it ended up like unfolding mobile affair. Okay, but mobile, <laughs> let's, yeah. let's do that. <laughs> We have all the time. But <laughs> uh, I mean, first, what Mobile Afia is, it's a, a platform for health information and um, health education, mm -hmm. where we have built a mobile application that works offline to provide health information, but also to provide access to medical personnel, including medical doctors. Mm -hmm. And we're doing this in multiple languages that yeah. are local and native. Mm -hmm. um, so for example, in Tanzania, we're doing this in Swahili. Yeah. But how did this come about? So the research that I was doing with children, with yeah. children in poverty, I ended up learning that in that region, mothers were having more babies than they can take care of. I also learned that um, the average age that women were having these children who end up 
in the streets as homeless or as children who live in extreme poverty, poverty yeah. was 17 years old. That was the average age. So wow. I met also um, women who had children at 15 years old in the mid-teen. And I thought this is not good. So I went on to like ask further questions. I ended up visiting families and homes of these uh, children. I was doing my own baseline study. I actually had my sisters, my triplet sisters. They had just graduated from high school. I was like, come and do data collection with me. I can yeah. use free labor. So yeah, we ended up learning a lot. The question to me was, how can I change this? Because it does not make any sense, mm -hmm. first, that these women do not know anything about family planning. Mm -hmm. Many of them do not even know that you can be married and not have children if you don't want to. Yeah. For me, that was very new That because I've never imagined that there's someone out there who doesn't, who doesn't know, this. know Yeah. And it was also a learning how for me, because I grew up in the city and in Dar es Salaam where it's a bit different, and going to that region and just seeing the level of poverty, of struggles, of children who could also be my children, or the age that could be my children, like suffer, live in the streets in something that I, in, as a result of something that I thought could be prevented. Yeah. If these women were educated enough about their health, yeah. about their sexual health, they would understand um, about family planning, they would understand about methods like calendar, how to use a calendar, mm -hmm. and ovulation, and that you, well, you don't get pregnant throughout the month. Some days where you can actually avoid it, mm -hmm. or at least you can be aware and decide, like make that in, informed decision. And so that's how it started with me now going back to my skills and saying, what can I do about it? And I thought, yeah, I can do something about this. Mm -hmm. I know that even though these women live in the villages, they have um, telecommunication services. So yeah. they have mobile phones where they can call. And I just thought, what if we use these mobile phones to also do more than just calling and sending messages, but actually send them information that is useful to them mm -hmm. about their health? So how it started was it was just for women mobile app here in the beginning it was called actually a girls app it was just for women um, with only information about sexual reproductive health menstrual health um, and so forth but um, as we continued we learned that these women do not only have challenges around the sexual reproductive health mm -hmm. that was how i came across to learning about the problems but there is not the only problem they yeah. also have poor health the um, contacts infectious diseases more they die younger um, because of non-communicable diseases yeah they're at risk of being affected with other diseases and i thought okay there is more um, information and education that we can provide yeah. using offline technology mm -hmm. to reach them. Yeah. So that's how it started. And I mean, the process continued uh, the research and understanding. Mm -hmm. And I went to another fellowship. I saw um, a program, Yali, Yali, yeah, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. and I applied. And I actually got a mentor to help mm -hmm. me 
with this, like to just help me get my perspective right. Maybe this is something that I already knew mm-hmm. um, about guidance. And when I, I started sessions with her, I told her I want to get to this program because I want to learn more about entrepreneurship and startups mm-hmm. because I think I have found a solution, but I need a structure around it. Of what can I do or how can I do it? And I ended up going to Kenyatta University for that fellowship. And I met my mentor who is a professor at Dartmouth. I was a professor at Dartmouth University in the U.S. and who was giving a lecture for that class for entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. But the topic that was interesting to me was human-centered design. And I learned with him. And after the class, I emailed him and I asked him, can you please be my mentor? Because I want to use this building, this application for so-and-so. Mm-hmm. And he said, okay, let's do a full process. And I did that with him for six months mm-hmm. from ideating, again, going back and collecting a different set of data to defining what exactly, when I say an offline application, what exactly do I mean? Have I mm-hmm. thought of everything yeah. that, that I will need? Have I thought about partners? And have I thought about companies? Because any application that is offline, you have to work with telcos and yeah. so forth. And there are so many different pieces that you have to put together. So he really helped me in the designing process mm-hmm. of this solution. I already yeah. knew what I wanted to do. And that's how Mobile Appy was born. That's a very beautiful story, first of all. And everything that you actually do, the intention is something you can tell that it's thought through and it's actually addressing a real problem and also the inclusivity part of it because it's offline. Talking about offline, what do we mean by offline application? So do we have an app that anyone can access? However, is it more like you use USSD for to access the application? Because I imagine the the demographic and the people that you're targeting. So if we are talking rural, not everybody has smartphone and stuff like that. So how does that look like? Yeah, I mean, in most countries in sub-Saharan Africa. So I think GSMA published data last year mm-hmm. that 60% of the adult population in sub-Saharan Africa have access to telecommunication services yeah. but do not have access to internet. And this means they have cell phones, mm-hmm. but they don't have smartphones. And not only accessibility is a challenge, but also affordability so you also have um, people who have smartphones but who cannot afford actually paying or buying internet data packages. And sometimes you have that, but you have the digital literacy gap where people just don't know what to do apart from going on Facebook, what else you can do with the smartphone. So our inclusivity came from back the uh, design process and this uh, research yeah because we looked at all these angles but is there is the challenge only um, accessibility that people are not online or is there more Mm -hmm. and we learned that there is more yeah and this is why our process ended up to be very simple so it's a ussd Mm dial-up where you just have a number and you dial it and then you get a menu Mm. And basically, um, even if you have low literacy, you mm. can just select a number. You don't have to write anything. You don't mm. have to type. You only have to select a number of a topic or a service that you want. Yeah. And then you can access it. Mm. And this makes sense because 
yeah, people with high literacy and yeah. people also who have smartphones because you can access it on a smartphone or mm-hmm. a dumb phone or a small phone. Yeah. Anyone can actually access it. And if you have high literacy, yes, you know how to use it, but also someone with low literacy use it or is able to use it without having a long learning curve or yeah. a hard learning curve. So that is how we thought of it. That's how we ended up designing it. And mm-hmm. I think it works because majority when we're doing eye testing, we could yeah. see that um, people know what to do mm-hmm. because also dial-up is not new. People use this to, in the beginning of cell phones, to check yeah. for credit balance mm-hmm. and then they yeah. use it to transfer money or to load up credits. And so yeah. it was not something completely new. Yeah, And we just tapped into that existing technology, but we changed it and used it for health tech. And how has been the reception so far? Quite good. So yeah. quite so we have over twelve thousand people who wow. have subscribed. I mean, and these are apart from pilot uh, yeah. users, and these are paying subscribers. So mm-hmm. people who have paid for the subscription, the subscription is very low. It's around one um, one dollar and eighty five mm-hmm. cents per the a year. Yeah, for the whole year. And yeah, we get a lot of feedback and yeah. from there. We get suggestions of topics that we can add, but also we see what else is needed. Yeah. Um, in the beginning, we didn't have this option to call a doctor and, and speak to um, a person, only just the messages and the information that someone can request. <laughs> and um, we learned from our users that they have more information. Uh, no, they have more questions or someone yeah. needs further information. They want to learn more mm-hmm. or they want to ask about a case of the red. Yes, this could be diabetes. But yeah. I, I still have more questions I already know. Mm-hmm. The first advice is always go to the nearby healthcare facility. Mm-hmm. But we also know that if we can answer more questions in person and give that advice, it might push the patient even more to seek help. That's beautiful. And I think I want to touch a little bit on the on the finances part of it because you are, as much as this is addressing a certain problem, you're running it as a business. So it has to sort of bring some sort of value back to you as well as much you are adding value to other people. And I imagine that, so you mentioned that it's a subscription base, $1. I think, or rather I would assume that that's not enough to sustain you as a person. So how do you then sustain yourself as a business and making sure that you sustain the people that are working within the business as well? Yeah. Yeah, that's tricky. Yeah, it has been another learning journey. Yeah. Um, learning how to manage a company. Mm-hmm. Not only manage businesses where I was responsible, but I was not responsible in finding mm-hmm. where the money came from. Yeah. I was responsible <laughs> in spending the money and how the money <laughs> is effectively used. Yeah. And in this case, I am responsible for both. Being mm-hmm. a founder of a company and when you already you have a team and other people that you have to pay. Yeah, um, yeah. If I was just working by myself, I can say, yeah, maybe I can still manage. Uh, mm-hmm. But you have not only people that you have to pay, you have compliance that you have to meet. Yeah. Things, licenses that you have to pay for and so forth. 
And it has been quite a journey learning about that. But again, in this begin beginning of this journey, before even registering the company in 2019, yeah. I started research back in 2016. Mm -hmm. And in between, I did a few different things. Mm -hmm. um, but I came to Germany the first time yeah. with the goal, same goal that brought you to Tanzania and <laughs> from the tech ecosystem. I was like, I want to know more about like how do people do business in the West? Mm -hmm. And um, because I was seeing financing and how companies raise money and I knew where we were back in 2019 in Tanzania, a lot of these 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 fundings would not be possible. So I wanted to learn more mm -hmm. about Europe. Yeah. And when I came, another accident happened, a good one, <laughs> where I just went to an event because my friend at that time, my husband now, had a colleague who was presenting. Um, yeah. He developed an algorithm with Go and just wanted to share with mm -hmm. his team at the office, but it was an open event. So I also went with my friend and we listened to the presentation. And after that, it was like networking and socializing. And I was in a group and I started talking about, yeah, and how I'm doing this research. We've already built a prototype and we want to start testing because we want to provide health information to women in mm. rural areas. And as I was talking, one guy who was like kept asking me questions, like, how did you come up with the idea? Where do you work? Yeah. Little did I know that that person is the founder of that company, oh, of wow. that software company where yeah. his friend is employed mm -hmm. and was presenting. So I found that at the end of our conversation, I was like, I can give the tour. Yeah, I'm the founder of this software company. I've been operating since 1998. Wow. And, so forth. I was like, and then he <laughs> went on to say that they have, um, they do a donation every year, a Christmas donation. Mm -hmm. um, and that was in October. And I was like, we do a Christmas donation every year. And I think from what you just told me, your initiative will be the best to receive this donation. Wow. It's just like, you know, I was thinking, okay, but like this cannot be real. Yeah. So maybe they will like talk among themselves and be like, no. And mm -hmm. just, uh, he said, I will email you and connect you with my partner and my co-founder who is in charge of this. And you can have a call. Wow. We did. I was back in Tanzania and this woman was so nice. Like she ended up blowing kisses to me and said, yeah, I will give you a donation of 10,000 euros. What? And I'm like, what yeah just wow. like that so that's the funding that we use to test our prototype and that's how it started but what that did to me is another like this other part of my journey that other people see yeah. what I'm doing the intention in a way that sometimes I don't see it because I'm yeah. so in like so in it that someone else has to do something where I'm like, oh, so this is a big deal. It's not just a passion project. Like there yeah. are people who see more potential in this. And there's someone willing to just give 10,000 euros after one talk. Yeah. So go, like, <laughs> go and do the work. So that is, that was how we got the first financing. And again, it's just being open to doing things, being open to going to places, just being open to wanting to learn because I was visiting actually Hamburg for the first time. I could have said, no, I just don't want to go to an event where I'm listening to a 
like a developer talking about like their like their code and stuff like that mm. it's boring let's like go and do something fun no let's go and listen yeah. what is the uh, waste in that and that was, was our first financing which allowed us to test our prototype and to actually now have data and say okay we have t- uh, we have tested our products our mvp yeah even a full mvp at that time but we have tested it and we're ready to move forward and because this financing happened in 2018, it yeah. allowed me to also come back again because I was like, oh, it was good that I went to Germany, to Europe to yeah. learn about how startups work with financing because now I know if you have a mm-hmm. good idea and if you have put in the work, they will see the value and you will raise funds. Then the next thing happened was here in 2019 before registering the company. And I met a woman who... Again, I was just casually talking, what do you do? I'm like, yeah, right mm-hmm. now I'm like prototyping and testing my products and we want to provide health information to women in rural areas. And I'm very passionate about this project. And then we went on to like drink and I met her through a mutual friend. Mm-hmm. And then she said, I'm a reporter. I would really like to hear more about your story and learn more about your story and what you're working on. Okay. Okay. We can mm-hmm. meet. I come to my house. I'll make it some food. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, let's come to my house. Yeah. I will make you something and then we, will, we can talk more. What I didn't know is that this woman was a writer for Der Spiegel, the newspaper. This is the largest newspaper, one of the largest newspapers in Germany. Wow. And so sometimes she an I mean, interviewed, not interviewed, like we were talking and like she was busy writing and I'm like, are you writing? There's <laughs> not much, but she was writing stuff to go and pitch to her editor yeah. that he should write about this. Mm-hmm. Fast forward, it got, that article got published. Yeah. And we now started receiving emails from investors because we say we're looking for funding. And I didn't know what the Spiegel is. I had no idea. I was just like, okay, it's a newspaper. Like, I didn't know what exactly it is. One article receives like the list of viewership over 10,000. Like this is the less interesting thing because it's very, very popular. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's how we met our founder, our, our investors, all women. And we raised our first round of financing over 150,000 euros and we started. So that's how I was able to pay the team to finance our office, to pay all the licenses we needed to operate and to start that journey. Yeah. But it has been a learning journey when it comes to finances when you know that you're responsible for multiple people and how they feed their family and mm-hmm. how they basically survive but also you're responsible to make your product and to make your company work yeah and it was not easy because the pandemic happened yeah. the same year that we received our first financing so we went through challenges but everything has been in this journey has been kind of accidental, how I came across the problem and how I wanted to solve it, how it started, how we received our first financing for the prototype mm-hmm. and then this article for the Spiegel. 
And I think that is just because of the passion and the intention because other people see that and they really want to help you succeed and help you make it work in a way that maybe you cannot see it yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That's how the financing part unfolded. It's still unfolding now, but that's how it started. Oh my goodness. I feel so warm inside with you telling your story and my eyes are also a little wet (laughs) (laughs) because it's just so beautiful. And I think it goes back to the intention and, and really just how much you've put thought into this. And really more than anything, wish you all the best for Mobile Afia because I think the the intention is just so key and so beautiful and it is very much necessary and much needed especially for the targeted group i really i wonder what has been some of the learnings for you as far as mobile afia is concerned um first and foremost running a company is really hard yeah just to get that out of the way And I feel like every process, every stage has been a learning journey Mm -hmm. by itself. Yeah. Um, Planning has been a learning journey, just learning how to plan, especially finances, long term. That is something that I'm still very struggling with because I'm very optimistic and sometimes in being optimistic and being a visionary, mm-hmm. you might miss the reality yeah. because you're so clouded by what we can achieve, how things are going to work, that um, you fail to plan properly for what you have at hand. Mm-hmm. So with the pandemic, this has been the biggest, biggest lesson yeah. because we raised funds only for a year. And that whole year... We mostly could not work. Uh, we didn't work or achieve the goals that we wanted to yeah. because of the pandemic. And we had to continue after that year to a second year to achieve the same, the same goals that we had without much financing. Mm-hmm. So I learned a lot about planning and having contingency and also um, planning at a worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. I already knew this, that uh, you need to plan a worst case scenario, but no one thought a worst case scenario will be like a, an entire like, pandemic. Yeah, like a two year <laughs> pandemic. Yeah. Like, I didn't plan for that. So yeah, that has been one of the biggest lessons. Another lesson that we still, that I just learned last year. Yeah. Is that you can be good at building. Yeah. At designing, especially also from the tech side. Yeah. You can do everything right. But at, at a certain level in a company, you need people who are good at selling and at marketing. Mm-hmm. Because those skills, not necessarily when you're good at building, you're good at selling. And we learned, we did an evaluation of our team, our skill sets. And we learned, yes, we're a team of, um, Scientists, so our co-founder, who's mm-hmm. also my friend, no one knows uh, my, my name is Ruth. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay, um, <laughs> except for my family. So if you know that name, just know that you're an insider. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah, yeah. Uh, but our co-founder is a medical doctor yeah and she's one of my closest friends mm-hmm. as well so we started this two girls with stem background who are very focused on like the science mm-hmm. part of it the tech part of it but we, between us two uh, co-founders, we didn't have any sales or marketing skills. We expanded the team also based very much on our skill sets. So focusing more on the medical side and focusing more, um, we didn't do much on the tech side, but more on the medical side. And yeah. we kind of ignored the selling part of the marketing yeah. part. Our belief was that this is so good. It's go. It's like it's gonna, it's sell, gonna sell by default. Yeah, by default. <laughs> yeah. And we also had clients who I don't even know how to put it. Like the ones who like raise your hopes so high mm-hmm. and then just like left, like leave you hanging. So we have learned that we need um, to have a sales leadership. We need mm-hmm. to have a marketing leadership and. Within within a company, all those skills are as necessary mm-hmm. because you need to have people who bring in the money, who only focus on bringing in the money. That's like their whole goal is to find clients and to find people who are going to pay for your company to keep operating. And for a company that is impact-oriented, impact-focused, so we, we didn't design the company to be like a money-making company or yeah. profit-making company. That has never been our interest, but we learned when you bring in investors who give you a lot of money, yeah. they, they only focus. So like one of the main focuses, of course, they are interested in the product. They like what you're doing, mm-hmm. but one of their main focuses is to get their return of investment. Mm-hmm. It's just that the thought, when will this money that I have put in this company, when will I receive it back? And so now I'm learning that we need people who will only focus on the commercial side of it mm-hmm. and are like trying to bring this money back to the company so that we can give it back to investors, Mm -hmm. but as well as continue and grow our mission and what we want to do. Mm -hmm. What else has been? I think along the way, I've learned to become more confident. So I believe in myself more to present and or to kind of show who I am and not to be shy about it. Yeah. I still have the, the biggest imposter syndrome. I still yeah. feel like maybe all this just happened by luck. It's not like you're good. It's just yeah. like you have been lucky and now they're going to find out very soon that, <laughs> that you're, you're a fraud. fraud. <laughs> like I have that thought yeah. now and then, but I have learned to be comfortable and exist in spaces and feel like I've earned it. Yeah. And I have a right to be here and also to look for those spaces without um, being afraid and to also kind of change the narrative mm-hmm. uh, because from um, Europe of learned, uh, I mean, the image of Africa or what people and youth in Africa are doing might not be as accurate. So yeah. every chance that we get to show up in spaces and share and uh, also others see that there are a lot of youth in Africa who mm-hmm. are very dedicating to solving their own problems, to solving their own issues, to contributing back to their communities, mm-hmm. to changing things that we take those opportunities and we 
show up and then show out. Those are beautiful learnings, man. And uh, just to actually validate even further, not that you need my validation. You're doing really well. Feels good. <laughs> You really, you really are doing well. And I mean, I'm listening to your story and I'm just like, my goodness, this is so beautiful in many levels. And for you to build that from the ground up, I, I can't imagine how much of hard work it took. And I can't imagine how much of dedication at the end of the day and really just sticking to the intention. And so now you have a, a platform that is running that has users and everything that is, I imagine the first step. But I wonder what some of your biggest hopes and dreams for the future mobile life for you. So first, my biggest hopes and dreams just for me as a founder yeah is that women led businesses get more financing and get more recognition mm-hmm. um because businesses cannot operate without money yeah or whatever type or kind of business it is if it's impact um focused or if it's commercial focused we need financing yeah and women in uh, women led business businesses or women founded found businesses receive less than 5% of all the financing for startups yeah. in the african continent so it's really really difficult mm-hmm. to get that financing and when we talk about financing there are levels of financing when you're in the scale up or growing uh, stage you need a little bit more and I feel even that is another level of mm. difficulty. So my hope as a founder is that um, we stop looking at um, women-led businesses as businesses that are not worth it so that women can change any time or they might have other responsibilities that will come first than their businesses. So maybe they're not deserving of financing and we really support women-led businesses and companies because that encourages even more women to entrepreneurship and already we have a large number of women who are entrepreneurs in the african continent we have more than europe and north america and other parts of the world combined um so when you have over um 40 percent of women um or 40 percent of all businesses being women led but less than 10 percent in financing, you see that there is a problem. And yeah. the problem is not that there's not enough businesses or they're not doing good businesses. It's that we value them differently. And my hope and goal for Mobile Apia mm-hmm. is within our roadmap. Because yeah. again, in a business, hope is not a strategy. You can hope all you want. You don't have a plan in place. It's not going not gonna to work. work. It's to so first secure financing that we're working on mm-hmm. and we're at a very good stage right now. We're raising a quarter a million euro to now scale and grow our user base, million users, which will allow us to unlock another revenue channel, which is data and also advertisement. And also data from one million users will allow us to have enough information to build that model mm-hmm. that we want. But also expand and scale, so include more African languages. Yeah. Um, be able to pay medical personnel from different countries to translate and also develop medical content for mm-hmm. uh, different communities in Sub-Saharan Africa. Yeah. 
And the biggest goal where I see Mobile Africa is a platform, an African platform, where majority of people in Sub-Saharan Africa go to access accurate and reliable health information and also access to medical doctors and other medical personnel. Yeah. Oh, that is so beautiful. I like that expansion to even other parts of Africa. And because, I mean, at the end of the day, I think this is going to be something very useful for multiple different parts. We do have in every part of Africa, the rural and also the suburban part of demographic. But everybody at the end of the day, for as long as you're a woman, we can assume that people are very well equipped to know things, but that's not the reality. So I, I wish you all the best from that angle. Hopefully at some point we actually get to see the South African context because I'm actually very biased. <laughs> yeah, but we have looked at South Africa as our next expansion, yeah, yeah. our next expansion because we have the same language family the bantu languages mm-hmm. so there are some languages in south africa that might be easier for us to uh, translate and develop content yeah for. but yeah we need resources yeah yeah definitely definitely and do you plan to expand to having a mobile app that would be downloadable beyond what you have right now Yes, we already have it. So we, we've already ah, fully developed. Okay. We're now doing better testing. Amazing. But we have developed these smart apps when mm-hmm. I have Android and soon we will also have that, uh, one for iOS because we, not necessarily because we want uh, people who have internet to access it because they are not our primary mm-hmm. target. target, but because we want people who are transitioning from small phones or from the feature phones mm. to also transition the use of your mobile app to their smartphone. And this is very important because, yes, the number of uh, people who will have smartphones will continue to grow in the next 10 years to mm. achieve almost full penetration of smartphones and internet in Africa. So yeah. we have to think about that ahead, even though we know that we still have uh, the digital literacy, so making the applications as friendly as possible, um, always thinking of the language aspect. Mm-hmm. I feel like from outside Africa, um, I receive a lot of questions of like, why is this important? It's the language aspects is one of the most important aspects mm-hmm. um, when you're developing um, a solution or an application within Africa. Because in many countries, you find that they have tribal languages, so they have more than one languages. And the people who speak these tribal languages have very little understanding most most of the times of the national language. So they might be able to speak here and there, but they might not be as fluent. They might not be willing because it's just too much mental work to have to read also in, for example, English. And also... Because it's a lot easier. Um, Definitely. Yeah, for them. So it makes it, it makes people want to use your application more if it's in a language that is easy for them to digest. Already health information, medical information is complex by itself. There's a level of complexity which Mm -hmm. we uh, work very hard to simplify. But you also want to simplify that with language so that it's really understandable. Yeah, yeah. Ah, oh, man. 
I, I don't want to lie to you. <laughs> like everything is just like, I am so warm inside. Not because I know you. I mean, that is one for sure, but also because I think there's so much value in the platform that you have created and kudos to everyone who's involved. So I, I imagine the journey from everything that you've mentioned has definitely not been easy. And there's someone who's listening today and they are in their very early stages of building and being a tech founder. And for them, maybe it was just really like, I'm just going to build an app and put it out there. And then they were met with the reality that, hey, there's more to it. <laughs> what is your advice for them? I, th- I think every developer or programmer has like, met this reality because you think from the technical aspect oh I can do it I mean it might be a bit challenging but I know I can do it yeah and then you're done you're like ah what's next (laughs) oh this is mm, I was not prepared this is more a lot more complex Mm -hmm. than I thought it would be and yeah I what I would say because I've been there I've done that I've stumbled. Mm-hmm. I've had to learn different realities. Uh, it's work. And I'll say just keep going and do your research. Do your research and learn what it really takes to put an app out there or launch a platform yeah. to get people to use it. Yeah. And always have users at the center mm-hmm. this is something that i noticed a lot with programmers and people who have the ability to develop and their own applications because you think as long as it makes sense to you it makes sense to everyone yeah. it will be easy for people to use because also we have to always remember with the tech background you have a knowledge of knowing how things work like even when you build something new, you have the ability to maybe use it much easily than someone else. Mm-hmm. So to always have that user um, at the center and to test things out. I think the only reason why we are here as mobile app is because for every stage, what the most important thing has been to research yeah. and test and go back. We have refined so many times mm. because you learned a lot of assumptions are actually not true. And you're hit with that reality because sometimes things makes a lot of sense. Maybe within your community, within your peers, it also makes sense. But you get out and you know when people say, oh no, this is stupid. Why would you say that? I would never let my wife use that. You are like one of the people who was sent by the white man to like, like <laughs> And you're just like, uh, 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 like, where does this even come from? But you yeah. need that feedback yeah. because that is the only way you can get that person who say that maybe without even knowing that's the feedback that you need. Mm-hmm. That's how you understand their level of understanding. Yeah. And to make the product work for people at that level of understanding, you have to meet them somewhere where yeah. they can use it. And I've seen many products where people don't. They end up failing. First, because they didn't do enough research of knowing what it takes to actually um, launch a successful platform. And second, because the users don't find it valuable as the developers do. Yeah. And and if you don't give up at some point, if you do all this, I mean, these two things right at some point, it will work. 
that is definitely not a journey for the week. Like, <laughs> if you know you cannot take, like, denials, if mm -hmm. you know that yeah, uh, your character is not strong enough, mm -hmm. you can hire someone else to do it. But most yeah. of the times when you're studying something, you also don't have the money. So, but yeah, you will meet with a lot of challenges. You have to keep going and you have to always look smart. And at some point it will unfold, but it's a lot of work. I think for all that I've said, if there's a takeaway that someone gets here, it's that it's a lot of work. And maybe I've not mentioned things like I had to sell my car to travel to Europe. Oh my it's goodness. Like I, I had like a lot of money somewhere. <laughs> and when I decided, oh, I want to go and learn about the tech ecosystem, yeah. because I really believe you have yeah. to learn, mm -hmm. especially learn from people who have succeeded. How do they do it? Mm -hmm. And there's a cost of that opportunity. And if you are a regular person like me who comes from a regular family. It's not like you have a lot of money. You can just say, dad, buy me a ticket. I need to go to Germany. Yeah. You have to figure out how to do that. And for me, it was, yeah, the first time selling my car, second time moving from my home, which yeah. I truly loved. You deciding from your home. Yeah, deciding between paying rent or using that money to travel and yeah. move back to my mom's house. And so you have to make these tough decisions mm -hmm. because the journey is really difficult. But if you are focused and you want to really put the products that you have developed out there and you believe in it, you'll be willing to I mean, take all the necessary steps. Wow. If you're listening at home and you're not inspired, I don't know, fam. I really don't know. I have no idea. I don't know how to help you. <laughs> <laughs> no i mean honestly i think your journey is really inspirational i want to really wish you all the best on this journey and really i hope that as you've mentioned mobile Avia expands to different parts of africa and even the world you will be surprised that not just africa has issues around limited access to knowledge. And, and this is something that is very global. So I hope that at the end of the day, one day you get to reach even those part and eventually it also becomes a seamless experience to access funding and also access people who are able to to jump in and help because I know there's a language element to it, which is like the biggest part. So honestly, I really wish you all the best thank and you. thank you so much for being here today it's um, my pleasure yeah. anytime <laughs> yeah yeah okay so as part of the show there's like a very beautiful feature that i really love the most and this feature is i ask everyone to write a letter to their younger 10-year-old self. So I'm going to give you time to read the letter for us. Take it away. Yeah, so I wrote a letter um, to my future self, so not to my younger self. Mm -hmm. But here we go. Here's a read. Hello to you, Maria Teresa. You're now in your 30s. How do you feel? Today, in your 20s, life is pretty awesome. How is your physical and mental health? I'm curious to know the woman you have become. If I have to describe you now, then you are competitive, ambitious, and a strong woman. You have started building uh, your future and career. 
also in giving your son a better life. Uh, <clears throat> this is early uh, December. You're registering BizKid with the hope that it will become one of the most successful organizations slash social enterprise in Tanzania. And you have a goal to impact and change lives of 500,000 community members and children in Tanzania and operate in more than five regions in Tanzania. Have you achieved those goals? Are you the most accomplished social entrepreneur? How is your company going so far? Have you traveled the world? Are you now living in your dream house? I hope so. My guess is Doto, who is my twin sister, is married with more than three kids. My sister is married with three kids. <laughs> my other sister is, mar uh, is married or already with a life partner. She's not. And she has joined you in growing your company. Yes, she has. Doreen is ambitious and studying abroad. She's not yet, but she's coming this year. <laughs> Mama is still living alone in the house, which is beautifully complete, and she's doing her projects. Apart from being promoted to being an educational officer, she was promoted. Um, Maria, you're now a content woman with a lot to fulfill. I believe the world has a lot to offer. I know that you're amazing and you have support from your loved one and also from your mentor. Mentor, This person right here is very curious to learn all about you. Love, Maria Teresa. Oh, oh. <laughs> this is like a very beautiful tease because like I, I've, I've listened to multiple letters from people writing to their younger self and at the end of the day it's really just about reflection about either how the younger self saw the world and this still plays out really well and how, I like how you're actually validating this has happened this has happened <laughs> so beautiful thank you so much for joining I'm also actually I was surprised that yeah some of the things that I predicted back then yeah oh also with the company because I knew I would start a company I didn't have one at that time mm -hmm. and I really like how I was talking to myself hey everybody <laughs> listening at home write your vision down it will manifest thank you for listening bye Thank you for joining me in this episode of She Talks Tech. If you enjoyed our discussion and found it inspiring, I encourage you to follow and share the podcast. By doing so, you will never miss an episode and can help spread the empowering stories of women in technology and STEM. Let's work together to break barriers, shatter stereotypes, and build more inclusive and diverse future. Join the conversation, follow and share the She Talks Tech podcast. Thank you so much for your support. I look forward to having you with me in the future.